invite our kids to head back for kids' worship this morning. Miss Stephanie will meet you at the appropriate door for that. In a couple of weeks, we'll also be having other children's things coming online. Surely, uh, and small at first, but we will start again. And we will start and work our way up and continue to do that. But we're going to begin offering all those things that we would normally offer in different ways, um, starting on the 23rd. And uh, so just uh, if you're able to come out and join us and reply to her emails and look at the things she's saying and offering, we'd love to have you. And when you're ready, we'll be ready for you. And I'm really excited about this next journey that we're focused on discipleship. And the question we're asking the whole time is going to be, what kind of disciple are you? That's the question that gospel discipleship seeks to answer. Have you ever wondered why you like one gospel maybe more than another? We're going to learn if you are a Mark or a Matthew or a Luke or a John-focused disciple. And once you understand who and how you view what is most important in discipleship, you can map a path to grow intentionally in your love and life with Jesus. So I want you to join us in discovering our disciples' path as a follower of Jesus and as a community as well as we gather that together. And there is a link in your version this morning, the 22-question test in, in the app. It was in the email that went out last night. It should have gone out yesterday morning. I'm not really sure why it didn't. But you can go back and look at it now if you haven't checked your email in the last day or two. There's also paper copies, but I reserve those for those who can't do the online, if you would, please. That way I can make those. And it's also, if you'd like to get one of the guides, there's no book as such, it's a guide, but uh, the guides are actually over here on the, at the exit on the way out here in person, and they're $10. That's not what they cost, but that's what I can count. So they're $10. It's very easy. <laughs> And uh, you can just put it in the basket, or you can pay me later, or whatever. But, uh, but they're right there. And there's 24 of them. If we run out of those, we'll get some more. But I just wanted to start with 24 um, guys to do that. You can also get it online. You can get a Kindle. You can do all those kind of things. But it's an easy read, but it's really good. And it really goes more into depth on all the different types. And maybe you're, you've already taken the test. Some of you have already done that. Thank you so much for that. I've got about 25 of those already that I've looked at and asking the questions that fit you. And if you kind of feel like you're not sure if it fits you or not, then getting the book will really help, the guide, because it lists all of them. And then you can begin to see maybe why you might be somewhere else. When I did the first time, it didn't come out the same way as the second time because I answered the questions in a different way that seemed to be more a light to who I am as opposed to the first time. So I look forward to doing this whole series with you this morning. So let's uh, pray and get ourselves centered to receive God's Word this morning. Gracious and good God, we're just thankful to be with you this morning. We're thankful to be at your feet learning. We're thankful to be here understanding more about how you created us. I pray that this series will be more than just a sermon, that it might be a life-changing, to understand better that we're all created differently and we do discipleship differently. So, Lord, speaking to the words you've given to me, the words that were received from Michelle Morris, who wrote this book, Gospel Discipleship, these guides, 
and may it be transformed into something beyond anything that was written. And may it be written in our hearts this morning in new and different and challenging ways about what it means to be a disciple. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask for this blessing now, both here in person and at home. And so wherever we might be gathered together, everybody said, Amen. So most of us rely heavily on our electronic devices to get where we need to go. How many of you use Waze out there? W-A-Z-E. How many of you use Waze? Yeah, somewhat. Debbie's like, yeah, I'm somewhat. I'm somewhat. How many of you? Yeah, Brian. All right, that's good. How many of you use Google Maps? Yep, okay. So the other half, Google Maps, and then you... I'm just going to ask it. Somebody use a MapQuest out there still? Got a MapQuest out there anywhere? No. No, okay, good. Good. We'll move past that. That's good. Waze versus Google Maps. Those are the two things that really are the are the way that you go one way or the other. Get that? Most of the time, they work really well. However, our phones don't always take into account where we are, how we like to drive, or if we decide we want to go somewhere else before we reach our destination, right? You go and you click it in there to go somewhere else before you get there. And so you get to hear it say what? Or at least you did in the old days. You get to hear it say, recalculating, recalculating. This morning, my computer, my computer shut down before I got here this morning, so I failed to go get my old GPS. But my old GPS, I'll bring it next week. You remember the old GPSs, right? They cost about $600. And you got lucky to get a couple hundred dollar one. You know, you got lucky. It was a box about this big. <clears throat> and it did all your directions for you. And you plugged it up because we didn't have smartphones. There was no smartphones. And that's, it was an amazing device. Sometimes if you're, really, if you're really good, Dan, if you had a lot of money, you got the weather on it too, so you could actually see weather and, and traffic. But that was extra. That was extra back in the day. And the GPS knows the shortest or the fastest way to get there, but not how we love to travel. Our other GPS works in a similar way. That other GPS is our God-positioning system. And in the church, see, that's exactly what mine used to look like. Do yours look like that too? That's why I chose that picture. In the church, that's called our discipleship. It's usually been a one-stop shop with a one-and-done destination. It doesn't account for the challenges or the possibilities that are present in the journey now. And especially now after six months, we're not even sure what it means to be a disciple in an ever-changing world of you do you. But there are some, some things that we still know. First, we have a destination in mind Roughly. We know the, the goal is to grow closer to Jesus, to become what God has called us to be, and to bring other people on the journey with us. But if we were to ask each other how to get there, we'd probably get all kinds of different directions. 
It's a question that I ask frequently these days, and we, we ask it in staff every week. What role does the church community itself play in discipleship going forward? Because before it was all about a building, a place to gather, to do things. It is no longer that. So what role will the church community as a whole, not individuals, not small groups, not Sunday school classes, none of those things that are happening, what role will the church play together in discipleship going forward? How are we going to do that both personally as an individual? I mean, small groups are going well. Our individual uh, faith has probably been developed in a lot of new ways that we haven't seen before in our own lives because we've had more time and more energy in different ways and more intentionality. But that's not the church. How is the church, that is the gathered people of God, going to do discipleship together again? putting their discipleship into practice beyond themselves or their smaller gatherings. What will that look like in the future? Second, though, we know we are coming from a completely different direction. The 21st century church already didn't look like the church of the 1990s. Your GPS from 15 years ago doesn't look like your phone now does the same job but now in 2020 the church has been accelerated most leaders say three to five years into the future of where we are we're going to be or more and see the shortest and easiest way to get to our destination is now roadblocked it was easy to come to church. It was easy to come to Wednesday night and just show up. It was easy to come into a room and have a small group. It was easy to come to Sunday school. It was easy to come to worship as a community. But most of those ways are now have a roadblock in them. And our GPS is trying to recalculate how we are going to get there when every time it seems like we turn around, there seems to be a dead end or another obstacle that keeps us from our discipleship. So how are we supposed to get to our destination when the road is closed or at least it's temporarily blocked? You ever had that fun in the city when something's, the nice accident happens and there's absolutely no way to figure out how to get around it and you try four different paths and you're still just barely getting through? And what do we do when that's the only way that our GPS in the church knows how to direct us? But the good news is is that we know that there are also other ways of getting to the same destination. Amen? But we're going to have to contact with our true GPS, the actual satellite, the Holy Spirit, in other ways. Or like in ways you choose one of the other routes 
that it shows you. Even though it's not the shortest or the most direct or the fastest route. And of course, we never take a longer route when we can take a shorter one in our GPS, do we? But now we're going to have to. And that's what gospel discipleship is focused on. Something that I had never really considered before, but finding these four paths. These four paths of discipleship become apparent by looking at the end to find our beginning. What I mean by that is, if we look at each one of how the Gospels ends, we see four distinctly different final words spoken by Jesus. I mean, we talked about our, our GPS settings, but have you ever used Google Maps to find something? I mean, that's where we definitely use it all the time to, to go to Google Maps. And the first view you have is from overhead in kind of an abstract way. Welcome to New York City. I've just taken you to Manhattan. You have to fly or anything. And you can also turn on the satellite that gives you all the trees and the buildings and the details. Go back, Davis. Thank you. Welcome to London. You just flew into Heathrow. But all that satellite imagery, the buildings, the trees, the details, can be confusing sometimes. This is more confusing to try to figure out where you might be. So then if you keep zooming in, you will get what they call the street view. Welcome to Paris. You can also go back. I didn't know. There's a timeline on Google Maps where you can go back in time and actually see buildings and things far back as their maps go. I'm looking forward to using this, but this apparently is two different times in Paris. The street view shows you what your destination looks like if you're actually standing on the street. And when it comes to discipleship and trying to figure out what it means for you and me to be a disciple of Jesus, the street view is usually what we have. Standing on the street, trying to figure out which way to go without being able to see around the next corner. So instead, we need that overhead view. Nowadays, we would call that the drone view. You know, the drone goes up and is able to show you so much more than we could ever see before. That gives us a clearer and broader perspective so we can see all four pathways we are going to be exploring over the next weeks. And before we get to each one of these pathways in a deep dive way every week, and all of their characteristics, it would be good to get a thousand foot view or 500 foot view of each one of these paths. So we want to walk through all four of the gospel endings to kind of get a feel for the different pathways they offer. So first, let's start with Mark's gospel. Now, the ending of Mark is very different, and some really love it, and some think it's really strange the longer ending. Because the ending of Mark begins to, to show us that the four gospel writers, the biographers of Jesus, had very different ways to tell their stories. 
What we see in Mark is there are two different endings in the gospel. You see, earlier, the women ran away from the tomb and refused to tell anyone about their encounter at the tomb. And that is how it ends. Then the next thing you know, the disciples are going from being scared people who run away from the sight of a ghost to people who are fighting with demons. Because you see, the ending of Mark, the the longer ending of Mark, speaks about disciples who are empowered. Say empowered. Make sure you're still awake. And look at the actions they can take now in Jesus' name. All these scriptures I will not be reading, but words will be highlighted in each one of the scriptures that I'll be bringing up. So look at this. In this scripture, it's go and proclaim and baptize and save and condemn and throw out demons and speak new languages and pick up snakes. Who wants to do that, Shelly? Pick up some snakes? Maybe. This kind of depends. If you're in the mood or not. Drink poison? Anybody in that? Okay. Heal the sick? This is what it says in the longer version of Mark. Now some of these things may be exciting to some of us. Some of them make us skeptical. Some seem just crazy, and those who follow them can seem off the rails too, like handling snakes. We have somebody who knows all about that in the Sand Mountain community of Alabama. But the Gospel of Mark is really trying to show us and inspire a beyond-boundary thinking. Because often we put unnecessary limits on God. And though Mark doesn't mention it directly, we know the Holy Spirit is sent to empower us, is empowering them for this work in the longer ending. And it's no accident that these things that happen after the ascension of Jesus are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends. And now we are gifted with the Spirit. The ability to do signs and wonders, miraculous things. We as disciples will do these things in Jesus' name, but we will do them because the Holy Spirit has empowered us to, as Michelle says, bend the world's expectation to do miracles and restore the world. We'll be equipped as needed as the Spirit directs into the ends that God wishes to achieve. So Markin's Disciples are gifted and recognize that anyone who seeks to follow Jesus is also gifted and that together we do transformative work. Markins do not do it by their own power, but because Markins are given power by the Holy Spirit. So maybe you are a Markin. Some of you I already know are, as you've sent me your results. Second, We move to Matthew's Gospel. These may be the words you know best of all of Jesus' final words. This passage is most often referred to as the Great Commission. Though I think we often think of it as the Great 
suggestion. You see, Jesus gives His followers direct instructions about what they're supposed to do in His absence. And that's the key. What they are supposed to do. And these instructions are all action verbs. Go. Make disciples. Baptize. Teach. And this verse gives us a checklist of what a committed disciple looks like. If you want to know how to be a disciple of Jesus, then do these things. But each one of these verbs is both simple and complex. They are achievable, yet they are a lifetime, lifelong commitment that will never be finished. Go. Christianity is supposed to be a faith on the move, reaching out to more and more people. It says to all nations, say go. Not faith that huddles in houses, worried about how new folks might challenge or change us. Instead, Christianity is is meant to engage in ways that only challenge, but also change us, transform us. And the mandate has no limits, doesn't have a stopping point. We have to go into more and more unfamiliar territory. Make disciples. Say, make disciples. To make something means to be creative like our God is a creator. God created us in God's image and here Jesus is commanding us to be creating something. And What is that? In this case, we are called by Jesus to create disciples. When was the last time you were actively involved in the making of a disciple? Maybe that new disciple needs to be you to reclaim that title, to plan, follow Jesus. Baptize. Say baptize. Jesus recognized as the new religion spreads, it needs a ritual that shows on the outside the inward transformation that happens in each disciple. We need that way to, to physically represent a new life is beginning in us. Baptism is the doorway into the church. You can't become a member of the church unless you are baptized. It's been that way since the very beginning. And baptism is that specific ritual that helps show our commitment, both as individuals and as a community, that holds us accountable together. Teach. Say teach. To be in the work of making disciples, we must also teach what a disciple is. We are working to make the reign of God a reality, one person at a time. And each one of us as a disciple was continually learning what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's what disciple means. And it's not just people who are gifted to teach, but all of us to teach each other to live more and more for Christ from our own lives our own experiences. Then Jesus closes in this way with being present. I myself will be with you every day. Those who resonate with Nathan discipleship will be people who like to take action. And they are people who prefer to find instructions to follow in order to walk with Christ. Could you be a Matthew? Third, Luke's Gospel. When we look at the end, it is really found in Acts. 
because most everybody agrees that both of these works were written by the same person and they should be read together. And so Acts is the continued story of what happens to Jesus' followers once he leaves. So we look at the first words of Acts 1.8 and what he says about the path of discipleship that radiates out in concentric circles. And we have talked about this years ago when we did a study on Acts together. But we start in Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. Good. Then we move to Judea and Samaria. Say Judea and Samaria. It's very good. Then we go to the ends of the earth. Say ends of the earth. We are directed to God's work and into the whole world. Discipleship in Acts is about discipleship without limits. Acts is a story about limits coming crashing down. It's a story after story of that. Whether it's geographical ones or cultural ones or spiritual ones, the limits come crashing down. And nothing keeps us from sharing the power of Jesus with anyone the Spirit wants to reach. And so there is no one we can't reach for Jesus. Everyone matters. Amen? And there's not one person you can lock on on that doesn't matter to God. Bill Hybel said years ago. So then we start small. With the people we know in our own Jerusalem. Ourselves. And our family. And next we look at the people that seem to be like us. Our Judea and Samaria is our small groups. It's our church. And finally, we go wherever God takes us, even to the other side of the world, but certainly the mission field outside of the doors of Good Shepherd. When you leave those doors, you are saying, now entering the mission field. The point for Luke is to start. Don't just try to stay in your safe place or the Spirit will show up and drive you out. But you'll not go alone. Not only does God promise to be with you, but other people will too. Because with Lucans, no one goes alone. They usually go in pairs. Why? Because Lucans are highly relational people. They are people called to make new relationships with people. Lucans will transform the world from neighborhood to neighborhood, one person at a time. Do you look like a Lucan? At last, John's Gospel, we looked at the very last, we looked at the very last words spoken in the other three Gospels, but in John, you have to look at all of John 21 and more. That including how Peter responds to Jesus when Jesus tells him to feed the sheep and the lambs. It's one of my favorite stories because it has so much symbolic meaning. And that's the way John is. John is a symbolic gospel. Very symbolic. You know, feeding usually means to satisfy our hunger. But here that hunger is more than just food. The hunger is deeper here in John. It's the hunger of the soul to connect with Christ as He had offered up His own body as bread for the world. 
It's a dark and stormy night. And with that hunger comes a thirst like the woman Jesus met at the well in John 4. Yes, she was at the well in the middle of the day when you weren't supposed to get water because it was so hot, just to avoid other people who judged her. But she was also thirsty for community and for a life that mattered to someone. Jesus quenched her thirst by engaging with her one-on-one, just like Peter. And Jesus tells Peter twice to follow him. Because Peter is still struggling to learn that lesson that Jesus has been trying to teach all his disciples. Jesus is trying to focus Peter. Follow. Follow. And it's incredibly powerful, the time and attention that Jesus gives to Peter during this moment in his life, one-on-one. Jesus has met Peter where he is. He's healed him of his own wounds and called him to follow in the way that is particular to Peter and different from anyone else. Peter, feed, feed, feed. And Peter, as I have preached before, was given this private moment on the beach to understand the earlier moments of his failure were now forgiven. And Peter could have breathed in that forgiveness and then used his next breath to ask, what do you want me to do for you now, Jesus? But instead, Peter asked about someone else, what was going to happen to them, the beloved disciple. We can't see the text. And Jesus tells Peter not to worry about that. That Jesus is working one-on-one with Peter to instruct him to the kind of disciple he is specifically calling him to be. Not anybody else. Follow, follow, follow. This is the work of a Johannan disciple to come to the feet of the one who notices Nicodemus, the woman at the well, woman caught in adultery, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, all people who directly learn from Jesus in John's Gospel. Johannan's disciples mentor others in the faith, one person at a time. Is John for you. So gospel discipleship gives us a new GPS app. And it's time to get rid of the old box that we're still using in our heads, whether we're still using it on our dashboard or not. It's a new approach. Using the four gospels as our coordinates with the Holy Spirit as our guide. And while we are lost in this time, recalculating all the time in every area of our life, it will be time for new directions. Many of us have taken the Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finder. We did our Enneagram this past January, Five's Rule. 
Self-awareness can be a powerful tool to help us to understand ourselves and how to serve together. But all of those are secular tools that have been adapted to the sacred. Gospel discipleship is focused from the sacred on our spiritual life. Asking the question from the scriptures, what kind of disciple are you based on the different ways the gospel writers speak about Jesus? So in Luke 14, 27, we find large crowds were traveling with Jesus. They'd all seen his miracles. And turning to them, he said some tough words. You can see all of those in your app, but these are the words that I want you to focus on. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Jesus says this to the crowds who are following him. He's saying, unless you place me as your first priority, over every other priority in your life, you can't be my disciples. Being a disciple, Jesus is saying, demands full commitment, nothing less will do. In order to illustrate this point, Jesus then tells two parables we're going to explore this week. One about salt and keeping its saltiness. And his word speaks to you and to me also. The other parables about what kind of tower you're going to build if you don't plan. And would you ever build something that your work didn't plan out? And so the question becomes, what kind of disciple are we planning to be to follow Jesus? But once you understand what kind of disciple you are, There's a clear pathway, a clear road to grow in your faith, following your own personalized GPS, and you decide where you're going to stop along the journey. So before we get started on this trip over these next six weeks, I invite you to please stop by and take the disciple type assessment. 22 questions. They kind of make you think. Yeah? Yeah? Think about how it is for you to be a disciple, not what the church has taught you, because that's the first thing Michelle will tell you. But sometimes we answer the questions because we've been trained or conditioned to answer them, not because of who we are outside the church. If you find yourself tossed up between two of them when you have those two on there, then it talks about the fact is that maybe the second one is how the church has taught you and the first one's who you truly are. It could be reversed. Some of you will have ones that say that you're equal. If you just send me what you are, please make sure you let me know if it's equal or it is one in a second because there's actually a way to score it as a congregation to figure out what we are as a church. If I get your whole assessment, it says all that in there, but if you just send me on Markin or Lucan or whatever, I don't know that. And some of you are half... It actually says, you need to read those words, it'll say you are equally these two types. If it has two types, it doesn't mean they're equal. It'll say one or the other is your main one. So Markins are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matheans are action-driven. Lucans are focused on relationships. And Johannans 
are nurtured by a mentor-apprentice relationship. That's to sum up those four. So what kind of disciple are you? And it might be as we go through it that you'll get a clearer vision from where you started doing it when we get to the end as we talk about each one in more depth every week. But I'd really like you to wrestle with where you are. I've already heard some amazing things from people and talking about how these words speak to them and how it lines up or I'm not sure about this part or whatever else. It, it gets us to be thinking. But there definitely there are four different types and they're coming up all across the board in different combinations. So I'm excited to see how this can lead us to find new ways to become disciples instead of the one-size-fits-only plan, which usually is we lay out a plan for you and you follow the steps to get from here to here. If you're Matthean, that'll work just fine because Matheans want to check off the boxes to get. If you're a Markin, then the Holy Spirit guides and directs that. And so that's not really going to work for you. You don't want your path laid out by a diagram or a picture or steps. If you're Lucan, the paper won't do you any good because you need relationships. Probably your small group is probably the most important thing in your life because part of being a Lucan is being in relationship. And if you're Johannan, you're going to need a mentor. Somebody to ask questions to to help you work through it and for you also to help somebody else. You see the difference? But the church has been about just one way of doing it. Here's your map. Here's how to get from point A to point B to point C to point D. Let me know when you get to the next step. This changes all of that and opens up a whole new way of looking at disciples. So I'm really interested to see not only individually where we are, but also together as a church, what kind of church are we? Are we primarily a Lucan church? A Markan? A Matthean? Johannan? It's going to be interesting to explore that together. And I hope you'll explore it with me because the more that we do this together the greater the outcome will be. So have fun with it. It's a great little test. I'm excited about all the ways the sermon series will come together during the next several weeks. From each week, we'll be listening also to those who are that type. So next week, we'll be listening to Markins as well as giving out the kind of the pieces of what it looks like. But Q&A, kind of talking to each other, just kind of find out what does a Markin think? How does a Markin, you know, if you're not Markin, you can't really speak to being Markin. If you're not Lucan, you can't speak to being Lucan. So we're going to look at that and mix it up and change it up along the weeks to kind of keep us all engaged and interested. I know that at home it's getting harder and harder. As I watched annual conference yesterday, I was in annual conference. That was weird in itself. Be down there. But on the other side of it, blah, 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 blah. It is getting harder and harder to stay engaged and focused. And I know that. So we're going to try and mix some things up. Try to figure out different ways to do things so that we're not doing the same thing. And some might work, some may not. But 
we've got to find ways so that we're not just off sailing out into the ether somewhere while we're trying to be in worship or listening to eight hours of annual conference, which I did not do, Shelly, just so you know. Yeah, it was tough. It is tough. Um, so let's shake it up. Let's try this out. Let's put it on for size and send me your results. Like I said, you can forward the email or you can uh, just send me the results. But make sure you tell me if it's a equal or it's a one first, the second one. Participant guides are available here. If there's more left over, you can come by the week and pick one up if you want to get it from us or you can just go online and order it and get it in a couple of days like everything else or get a Kindle and read it right now. But it's really good. It's really it's an easy thing. And I hope that it helps you to become a better disciple. It is helping me become a better disciple to understand more about how I'm wired by God so I can use my strengths and gifts too. So I just encourage you to think about that this morning. As we say once again the invitation to Jesus, which is our, our words from Psalm 121, the words that we have chosen right now to hear after Psalm 91. I raise my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip. Your protector won't fall asleep on the job. No, Israel's protector never steps, never sleeps or rests. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade right beside you. And the sun won't strike you during the day and neither will the moon at night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. And God will protect your very life. The Lord will protect you on all your journeys, whether coming or going, from now until forevermore. Now let us sit in the presence of God, just hearing, recognizing the voice of Jesus through the power of song in spirit.
our Bishop Bill McAleel yesterday said some very impactful things. And one of the things he spoke about was Deuteronomy 31 at our online annual conference. And he said, allow our trust in God to guide our steps into our future. These verses that Moses called Joshua and with all of Israel watching said to him, Be strong and fearless because you are the one who will lead these people to the land the Lord swore to their ancestors to give to them. And you are the one who will divide up the land for them. But the Lord is the one who is marching before you. He is the one who will be with you. He won't let you down. He won't abandon you. So don't be afraid or scared. Then the Lord commissioned Joshua later on, None son, be strong and fearless because you are the one who will bring the Israelites to the land I swore to them. I myself will be with you. Heard those words before? Be encouraged, my friends. The Lord is marching before us. He will be with you and us and he will not let us down. Be strong and fearless because our God is with us. And until we regather again, may the peace and comfort of Christ be present with you now and forevermore. Amen.